you know, Frosty the Snowman, it's truly the most quintessential Christmas song. It introduces a beloved figure who invites the children to come to him, gets into an altercation with state authorities. Right, the hollering stop. And then he dies, but promises to be back again one day. Frosty is a Christ figure. Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Catherine. And we're I'll Be Pod for Castmas, a seasonal podcast where we overanalyze Christmas pop songs and movies and put them into conversation with some unlikely pieces of literature. Don't be a Grinch! Join us on I'll Be Pod for Castmas on the Moonshot Podcast Network. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Blood of Olympus. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I have just been eating a throat lozenge for fun, I guess, but I had to spit it out because we were like doing the show. Sounds exciting. This is, yeah, this is the most important thing I've done this day. I've also, I've, I spent most of today cursing the uh, the crew of the Titanic submarine. Uh-huh. Those selfish fuckers had to, like, go and have, like, an Atlantic sea disaster after the arc where the Argo crew are crossing the Atlantic. Do you have any idea how much SEO we could have mined from, like, that happening around the same time? We could have put that in the titles and the description. Shit, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, Nico, Nico, and Reina and Coach Hedge are all going across the Atlantic now. And like shadow traveling is kind of like imploding into a shadow. So yeah. So I guess I guess we can not do that. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> probably not actually going to do that. <laughs> How are you, Jacqueline? You know, I'm okay. Uh, I have been uh, reading this funny little book called Treasure Island. I've been mm. playing a new video game that I got. Don't know if you heard about it. Uh, oh, the, uh, yeah, you were telling me about this, this funny little indie game, uh, Tears of the Kingdom? Yeah, Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I, I finally collected all 900 Korok seeds uh, in Breath <laughs> of the Wild, so I allowed myself to finally buy it. You and... unlocked Tears of the Kingdom IRL by doing that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I... I'm quite enjoying it so far. I, the mechanics are so fun that they made me cry. That did happen. That was so funny. <laughs> so don't laugh at my... It's, it's, at my... I, I, I am laughing in a that's very sweet kind of way. Listen, well, speaking of very sweet, I guess, uh, let's let's talk about these chapters for today. Let's do that. Actually, let me check. We haven't checked Rick Riordan's blog in a little bit. Let's see if there's anything. Oh, that's true. I forget that he has that because I know he's not on Twitter. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I guess he's just completely offline. But no, no he's, he's still posting. Uh, he hasn't posted since June 6th where he had a uh, post about his 38th uh, wedding anniversary, which is you know, very sweet. Good for him. Yeah. People who are married for a long time, it's, whoa, whoa. This is not what I expected young Rick Riordan to look like. Uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's pretty, like, classic, like, late 70s, early 80s guy with shaggy hair. Uh, but he, he did have a pretty full head there. I need, to, I need to see this. You need to show me this. 
All right. I'm so used to seeing old guy Rick Riordan. Oh my god. Yeah. And that's him on the left, right? I had no idea that uh, he transitioned. Good for him. Oh, he got old fast. <laughs> oh, there's an, <gasps> there's an unfortunate mustache. There's an insane jump between 1994 and 1998. Oh, God, there really is. Oh, yeah, his hair, got, his hair got so gray so suddenly. I think this is just having a child, probably. This It's probably true. Although 1999, I, he still looks a bit younger. In 1985, he looks like Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> he kind of does. <laughs> I, I like, you know, the, the the mustache and long hair is fun. It's, oh, this is fascinating. What's up? Oh, no, I don't know. Just 2003, he still had, like, the big mustache, like, the... Like, he's got a, a beard. Of, he, he's, yeah, he has the beard. He has a lot of black in his hair still. Uh, it's... It's fascinating, yeah, I don't know. And that now he's he's Papa. <laughs> he looks like a guy who uh, a, a bunch of teenagers would start calling Uncle Rick. Yeah, this is not, like, he was not Uncle Rick at, at age 21. I guess that makes sense, but <laughs> there are plenty of 21-year-old uncles. What the fuck am I saying? Uh-huh. Wow, yeah, I don't know. So that's, that's Rick Riordan's appearance that we've judged, I guess. <laughs> well, he does a lot of judging Frank's appearance in these chapters, so it's it's even. That's true. Let's let's get right into it. Okay, uh, chapter chapter fifteen. Nico. After his conversation with Hades, Nico returns to Reina and Coach Hedge and warns them about the fact that wolves may be coming after them soon over some tasty pastries. They conjecture a bit about what this could mean. Maybe it's a good thing, and the wolves are from Lupa. Probably not, since nobody's heard from her, or Ia and her Amazons for that matter, for a while. Hopefully then it's just a metaphor, and they can get Nico to shadow travel them across the Atlantic before they even have to worry about it. He's ready to do it, but still pretty bitter about the fact that he's consistently asked to do the impossible, executes, and then is still eventually rejected. Camp Half-Blood did it to him after he helped win the Titan War. Plus, that's when Annabeth and Percy started dating. He wants to hate Percy for being so immature and annoying, but still finds him to be endearing. He really wants to hate Annabeth, but she's so darn nice to him. Mostly, he's just internalized a lot of homophobic ideas. For instance, the old story Plato told about how men and women are each other's separated halves, always searching for each other. Where does that leave him? So, ultimately, he's decided he must be alone when the job is done. Raina can tell he's struggling and does something nobody else has ever really done, actually ask what she can do to help him. He doesn't have a good answer, but still appreciates her concern. But that's when the wolves arrive. Chapter 16, Nico. The wolves Hades warned them about? That was Lycaon, the original werewolf who attacked Jason and them back in The Lost Hero, and his pack. They've been hired by Orion to keep the Athena Parthenos group there until he can arrive. They're heavily outnumbered, and it takes just about everything Reyna, plus her dogs Orm and Argentum, have to handle them, while Coach Hedge secures the statue for departure. It's looking pretty dire, and Orion has almost arrived to complete the hunt, so Nico decides on a last-ditch trick. He taunts Lycaon, getting him to pounce on him, creating a lone shadow large enough for Nico to activate his shadow travel and send them off to who knows where. Chapter 17, Piper. Piper helps Frank find his way to Nestor's cave in Pylos, for he ends up meeting with the other descendants of his Argonaut ancestor, Periclymenus. However, they're not too fond of their cousin being Chinese-Canadian, so they mostly just give him the cold shoulder. 
but still send him on his way with the poisons of Pylos they were searching for, a mint plant that sprang from nymph blood. They hitch a boat ride back to the Argo 2, where Frank tells the crew the other tidbit he got from his weird cave family. The chained god in Sparta is a statue of Ares. Not so coincidentally, Piper previously saw a vision of herself and Annabeth going into ruins and having a fiery encounter, so they're probably the ones who are supposed to do it. That's not the only strange vision she's had lately, though. Her mother, Aphrodite, recently came to visit, giving her a bleak glimpse of the future where unless she perfectly pulls off some mysterious plan and bridges the gap between Roman and Greek, neither storm nor fire could succeed, and everything would be doomed. Chapter 18, Piper. Jason visits Piper's cabin to have a one-on-one -on -one convo, a classic of theirs. Piper reassuring Jason that he's making the right choices. He's worried that he'll end up just like his mom, so Piper tells him an old Cherokee story to remind him to trust his instincts, cause he's got good ones. Leo interrupts them before they can kiss to remind Jason it's his turn at guard duty. Piper goes to bed and has dreams about the Acropolis, where all the giants, including ones they'd already beaten, returned from Tartarus, have gathered for a tactics meeting. They already know the Yargo 2's exact route and have a giant named Mimas waiting for them in Sparta. A female giant named Paraboya warns Porphyrion, the king, not to get too cocky and tempt fate, so Porphyrion brings out Thune, an old giant who is born to kill the fates themselves. No more prophecies, no more destiny, they'll be able to make their own future. Chapter 19, Piper. After telling everyone about her dream, leading to a Percy-induced plumbing explosion, Annabeth and Piper go down into Sparta. While searching, Annabeth talks about her worries about Percy. He's super powerful and kind of scary sometimes, and not just when it comes to the toilets. Uh, not only that, but she doesn't think they'll ever get the chance to have a normal life together, considering their track record so far. She's trying to stuff all her emotions down, but Piper says she needs to let them out and accept them instead. Soon, they stumble into a series of pits, which are spewing fire, so probably the same place Piper's vision showed. Piper figures out that the fire is activated by emotion, so she makes the impulsive choice to jump down into the pit in the interim between fire streams. After getting her bearings straight, she finds that she's in the pit where the statue of Ares is chained up. She destroys the fire mechanisms, letting Annabeth follow her. Once they're both down there, though, they begin to hear a rhythmic thumping, almost like a heartbeat. Fear fills them as they realize, based on the markings on the wall, this is a shrine to Phobos and Deimos, the sons of Ares, gods of panic and fear, and from the shadows comes one of the most fearsome things of all, the giant Mimas. Chapter 20, Piper. Mimas is the anti-Hephaestus. All plans crumble before him. Annabeth, who's all about plans, is scared out of her wits as the cave fills her brain with all of her worst experiences and fears. Piper, though, realizes that they need to rely on instinct and emotion instead of logic. She follows her gut, and after landing a few glancing blows on the giant, runs to the carvings of Phobos and Deimos and offers them her cornucopia as a sacrifice for their help. Then she swings her sword and lops the head off the Ares statue, releasing the Makai, spirits of battle who can only be released by one who has felt fear and understood the true terror of war. The spirits disappear, and Mimas thinks he's won, but Annabeth finally po follows Piper's advice, stops thinking, and comes from behind to jab him in the thigh, giving Piper an opportunity to stab him in the gut. He's sent back right into the wall, sending one of the stone depictions of Phobos crashing right into his head, crushing him. Fear wins. 
Now, they're not quite sure how the Makai are supposed to work as one of the ingredients they've been trying to gather for the cure, but decide to figure it out once they've gotten out of the crumbling cave. Piper offers her brothers one more sacrifice, Mimus' severed ear, and a passage opens to lead them back to the surface. So, Jane, what'd you think of the chapters today? I thought that these were a pretty good set of chapters. I also think they were very fucking long, and thank you for writing those summaries. No worries. Like, I... I those summaries went on for so long that I started eating my lozenge again, and it was gone by the time you finished. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's no, that's fine. That's good. You were detailed and comprehensive. Yeah, I, 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 I discovered a new trick because I had to develop a new trick for these chapters, uh-huh. uh, where I just wrote like a one sentence, uh, a like a one sentence summary for the entire chapter to give myself the motivation. Oh, that's a good idea. I had like 15. Nico. Nico comes back and tells them about wolves and then the wolves show up. <laughs> Chapter 16. <laughs> Nico. They fight the wolves. That's so true. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy these quite a bit too. I think they were pretty good. I had lots of, lots of interesting stuff to dig into, I think. I, should, we, should we start with our favorite most interesting boy? Yeah, we should. Nico D'Angelo is uh, shitting and farting. <laughs> he's not shitting and farting but he is far farturing what was it oh what? yeah the, the fuck was it it was like a weird pastry there's a pastry that had the word fart in it and he was like wow that would, if percy was here he would totally make a joke about that farturus the farturus and it's true percy would make a joke about that no he absolutely would it sounds to it as, as Nico observes, it sounds too much like the word fart nuts for Percy to not say something incredibly stupid about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. I feel like that is almost like a more Lightning Thief-style like Percy uh Yeah, definitely. Joke, which makes sense considering where Nico has like gained most of his knowledge of Percy. Yeah, they've not seen a lot of each other in this series. The, the one book where Nico was around on the Argo for a while, Percy was in hell. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it's I, this is a very relatable spiral he's going through. Oh, absolutely. I think these chapters just confirm that Nico has really fucking bad anxiety. Oh yeah, definitely. Because he, he talks about um, uh, being rejected from Camp Half-Blood. And the way he talks about it is... Um, like, there, there was a week after the end of the Titan War where uh, everybody was really jazzed by him. They were very happy to see him all the time. They were, like, inviting him to stuff. Uh, and then they kind of stopped doing that. And Nico was like, oh, I could see in their eyes that they actually hate me now. And it's like, no, he's just he's just really fucking anxious and has, like, a lifetime of rejection and shame to deal with. And, like, interprets not being, like, actively invited in as a rejection. <laughs> Yeah, the thing is that Nico is not the guy who's like, hey, uh, can I come to your party? Like, he'll never yep. do that where he is right now. And that means he's never going to get invited to a party. Uh, yeah. He's just like me for real, for real. God, no, I, I, absolutely, <laughs> I feel it. Uh, and he's like, oh, they're all so scared of me, I can tell. Like, when I come out of the shadows and the campfire and, like, they're all, <laughs> they all jump backwards. It's like, Nico, you're doing weird shit, to be clear. I think there is also, I think that specific line about, like, people being freaked out by him just kind of hanging around and being kind of quiet is, like, it kind of recontextualizes what he was doing in House of Hades, where it seemed like he was, like, delighting in doing that a lot. Yeah. Where he's, like, 
he seen he, the the lesson he seems to have taken away from that is well people are gonna hate me anyway I might as well control their reaction to it. Yeah, I think that's true. I've been watching Bochi the Rock lately, mm. uh, and Nico is very Bochi in some ways. Oh, one hundred percent. Like not quite as bad, but Bochi is a very socially anxious uh, guitar player, and like. The idea, like uh, I think, if if she had the ability to sink, literally sink in, into the shadows, uh, she would be doing it constantly. <laughs> I'm sure there's so many like funny visuals for like Bochi trying to just like slink off away from a social situation. I think there must be one in there. It's just like her fucking transforming into a shadow. Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> and he, you know, he's not like entirely wrong about this. They're not as accepting of him as they could be. But mm-hmm. he's also, so much of this is being amplified by the fact that he really just has a lot of his own internal struggles that he's projecting onto other people. Yeah, definitely. Like, the fact that his um, conclusion is, well, I'm never going to find a woman to love because I'm gay. <laughs> so <laughs> I may as well just fuck off and live in a cave forever. <laughs> That's God, yeah. I, I really like this, like him him talking about this story of like, oh, uh, pe- people used to have uh, no no gender at all. They were just like big forearm blobs, I guess. And then Zeus thought they were too powerful, so he split them in half. Uh, now they send their lives searching for their other halves. And I like that Nico thinks about that and is like, that sounds like fucking horseshit. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think it... it, it it is a correction to something that we've complained about before, which is like a problem that Rick runs into is uh, like taking these stories that like existed to serve political purposes to like uphold certain standards of the times, like like in Kane Chronicles, where it's like unironically, uncritically spewing like, oh yeah, the pharaohs were the children of the gods and literally born better than everyone else. And I like that that's not being brought up uncritically in this context. Nico is being like, that sounds terrible, actually. I hate that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And part of but it also doesn't seem like he's totally rejecting it, right? Mm, yeah. Like it's it seems like to a degree he's kind of ex- he's like I hate that, but also it's I guess it must kind of be true. Like it's it's another old Greek story, it may as well be true and if it's not then it at least represents something about society that's important and I'm like I'm not able to fit in with that idea. Yeah. And I guess I guess I guess what what we know is that like the this is not going to go in the direction of that being the case. Yeah. I also, I also like that this this means that the book the book will end up saying that the gender binary is fake. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I yeah, it it has to, right? <laughs> I God, I'm really excited for there to because I know there are. I'm just really excited for when there will be more just like various queer characters in the series. Yeah. Uh I and I I really like Reyna's response to him, obviously, just, like, sitting there in a chair, like, thinking sadly for a few minutes. She's uh, just, like, sat there watching him, like, internally spiral. His, like, eye is twitching. And <laughs> she does the thing, which we got from her perspective, which is, like, I can't be this kid's big sister. I can't be mm. this kid's big sister. Uh, but she's kind of still doing it, like, not on purpose. Uh, but her just asking Nico, like, hey, what can I do to make you feel better? Like, what can I do to help you? Is, I don't think anybody has ever done that before for Nico. Yeah, like, Percy trusts Nico, 
to a degree, but he mostly trusts him to like in a way where he piles on more responsibility. Yeah, definitely. And it's like it, it really is true. Nico is constantly doing these like ridiculous impossible things and pulling them off, right? Mhm. So he's he's a little boy with a lot of I really like um how he says like Oh, you know, he's a couple of years older than me, but Percy seems really immature now. <laughs> like, I that is the kind of development that you would get if you were, I guess, like, the emo kid, right? Who kind this, of thinks you're a little bit... Uh-huh. This, this is what the edgy emo kid thinks of everyone else. Yeah, exactly. And also, especially someone who he is, like, trying his best to not kind of be in love with. <laughs> Yeah, we. I mean, we even we even see Nico in these chapters when he's talking about like Percy making that stupid fart nuts joke. He's like, I, I. He finds that like simultaneously annoying and funny, and he tries to really focus in on how annoying it is so it doesn't tear him up too much. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the just Reina being Reina being there for him, I guess I really like because there mm-hmm. ha- there hasn't been like a Nico supportive character for a while. <laughs> The closest we've get... gotten is Hazel, and Hazel was kind of, kind of mostly seems kind of scared of him. Yeah. Or, well, we kind of don't know. Like we said, they haven't gotten a lot of time to interact. Uh, yeah. What do you think of uh, Annabeth having apparently coming up to Nico? We we saw this in the last book, didn't we? Did we? I, I think we didn't, because it was from Percy's perspective. So I, maybe we did. I swear to God we saw this. Because I remember, mm-hmm. I remember like Annabeth being like, "Oh, it was only because of you that Bob um, went to bat for us." No, we don't see it. I think you're thinking of Percy saying it to Nico. Percy oh. says, "Like Percy's like, hey, you convinced Bob I could be trusted, even though I never visited him." Blah blah blah. Uh, and then it's Annabeth comes up the hill. A few a few minutes later, Raina and Coach arrive, and they all leave. That's okay. Yeah, no, I got confused. So I guess both of them did it independently. Uh, but Nico's probably... just surprised that Annabeth isn't like the huge bitch like competition that she kind of, that he kind of wants her to be. I think I th- I can't remember what context we talked about this on recently. I think it was on Nectar of the Pods, where there was a character who was experiencing this exact thing where they really wish that the person they were like a rival to was more of an asshole. Yeah, what am I? Th- what was that? No, I don't remember either. It was probably Black Sails related. It's probably Black Sails. Maybe it was something to do with the problematic fave stream. Hmm, could have been. We were on a stream or something, by the way. It was a top power problem oh, yeah. faves. Yeah, the VOD is up if you wanna if you wanna watch Jacqueline defend the most valid fave there is. And Jacqueline apparently, I just called you Jacqueline. <laughs> I'm being absorbed. <laughs> and Jane apparently defends one of the least valid. <laughs> it's on the, the Moonshot VODs channel. Anyway, yeah, you're right. I I like I like Nico just being like, God, why why the fuck does she have to be so nice? This would be a lot easier if she was a huge asshole. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Lycaon's back. Yeah, Lycaon's back. I wasn't expecting- I guess he didn't die or anything, so it makes sense, but- Fucking D-lister. Truly. Maybe, <laughs> maybe like the most forgettable villain from Lost Hero. Yeah. And I do- I. I enjoy that he comes back just to be Orion's hype man. I'm glad that he immediately dies. He is so, like... I think we called him pretty bland the last time he showed up. Yep. 
And he's still pretty bland. Like, there's not, there hasn't been a big interesting turn in who Lycaon is. He's just a big, scary werewolf guy. Well, you know who else is pretty forgettable from that whole sequence? Who? Coach Hedge. Because oh, I yeah? fucking, I fucking wrote in my notes, wow, Lycaon, what a fucking deep cut to get this D-lister back. And it's especially funny that it's against a team who weren't even in Lost Hero and doesn't have anyone who remembers him. Because I just straight up <laughs> forgot that Coach Hedge was in that scene. Coach Hedge has a surprisingly, like, I feel like this is the most, like, coherent series of sentences he's ever said. In this is chapters. true. I think it's because he's getting out all of his, like, usual annoying shit in, like, between chapters when Nico mentions that he spent most of his afternoon yelling Darth Vader quotes into a megaphone for no discernible reason. I think the megaphone did that because, uh, because Leo programmed it. <laughs> that might be true. Because it also just occasionally said, the cow says moo. <laughs> Which I think is a, a Leo classic. That's true. Oh, yeah, it was just, uh, like, Nico goes for his sword, and, uh, Coach has, says, don't bother. These guys are only hurt by silver or fire. I remember them from Pike's Peak. They're annoying. Bring it on, mangy boys. The hunters of Artemis are on their way right now, just like last time. That's a temple of Diana over there, you idiot. You're on you're on their home turf. And it's like, he's like doing a plan. He's like trying to like be a bit clever. He's like trying to trick them. Do you think like Jason, Piper, and Leo just like make him worse? Probably. Like now, now that he's away from them, he can be like actually pretty competent. <laughs> I think that makes sense. <laughs> they just like fucking rot his brain by being around them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really fun. I, I think that could be true because he had to be their fucking like teacher for a few months, right? So Oh, that's he, true. He's just like sort of adopted that persona. He's a really normal guy outside of that, but like <laughs> but he's probably he's not a normal guy, but he's he's not as much of just like an insane weirdo. Yeah, definitely. That's really funny. <laughs> um Orb and Argentum get pretty beat up, that's sad. Yeah, the ro- the Robo Doggies rip. Rip. I-, I don't think they actually die, but they're like on the edge. Yeah, they like they- I-, I know that Reyna can summon them, so hopefully she can just like Summon the pile of scrap metal and get Nico uh, Leo to fix it. it keep fucking mm-hmm. keeps fucking happening. It does. <laughs> I mean, I have to assume that these crews will be meeting back up again before the end of the book because I don't I don't know if that's what you took from the Piper the Piper chapters, but I feel like Piper might be on her way back there. Oh, that's not what I took from that. That's interesting. Well, do, do we want to get into it? Yeah, let's go. All right. Oh wait, last thing though. Uh, Nico straight up is doing like Harrowhawk shit in these chapters. Okay. Like he's just summoning a big wall of fucking bone and cartilage and like tangling cool people hell. up in fucking human rib cages. It rips. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> and also, I I don't think we're emphasizing enough that he has done like a few hundred meter jumps so far. Uh, and now he's about to try and jump the entire Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Yep. I still I still think they should just like try and aim for boats. Uh-huh. Just like capsize them with a statue. <laughs> oh god. I that would be really funny. They they <laughs> should like it would be there's like still like remnants of the Titan War. There are still like the fucking Princess Andromeda's out there. Uh oh, and they that just would like be so start cool. 
They start trying to sink them via statue. <laughs> so yeah, the Piper chapters, which are in a I feel like in a different universe these would be Frank's chapters. Yeah, I can see that. Especially like the, the first the first couple, it kinda seems like Frank is doing all the important shit. A little bit. Well, Frank's doing all the important shit, having all the big conversations, but Piper's the one who actually lets him do that. She's the one that mm. actually like like helps him get there. And I guess the fact that the back half of this is like all Aries stuff, right? Hmm, yeah. But I, I, I think it makes complete sense for these paper chapters still. It's just interesting that they do sort of exist on that border. So Piper is back and she has, would you believe it, another secret that she can't tell the, <laughs> that she can't tell the rest of the crew. <laughs> okay, to be fair, this book, everybody has a little prophecy that they're keeping to themselves and they're worrying about internally. Is it true? So it's not just Piper doing that this time. Who else has one? Uh, who the fuck else is it? I think one one of them has like. Nice Hazel. Yeah, one of them is like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be Leo that dies for some reason. Right. Well, no, because uh, Nike was like, okay, one one of you oh, four yeah, no, is gonna die. That was, yeah, she told like three people that. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. What the I, fuck? It's really funny. I I. <laughs> I'm, I am, I get it. Like, I am kind of just tired of the destiny thing. Maybe Thune should just strangle the fates. I think that would honestly kind of rip. Well. Cause like, cause, okay, just because, like, the, the entire conceit of, like, this and PJO is that this is, like, the cycle of history repeating itself. And I think it would be kind of cool if, like, they, they win in the end, but, like, the fates get killed. So, like, everything is unpredictable from here. I'm kind of interesting in... I'm... <laughs> You are I'm pretty kind of interesting. Inter- <laughs> 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 I'm kind of interested in that being true, if that was the direction, because what we're getting right now is, like, the ones who are trying to do the typical he- quote-unquote like, hero thing and defy fate, like, make their own destiny, is the giants. Uh, yeah. The ones who are, like, leaning into fate's plan, like, going on with all the prophecies, that's that's our heroes, that's the demigods. Which, yeah, that does feel backwards. And for a series that is setting up so much about prophecy, we've got uh, Rachel and Octavian, both of their, like, stuff is on the fritz, something's going on with Apollo. It seems like that really might be where it's building to. Apollo's out, right? Like, Trials of Apollo is just, like, starting in the background of this. I think one of the giants says that he just straight up has been kicked off Olympus for some reason. I think so, yeah. I think this is, like, maybe the most important thing that's happening in this book. They're gonna... Yeah. They're, at the end, everything with... I think the Thune is gonna fucking strangle those old ladies. Ooh, you know what it might be? And I yeah. think it would be really cool if it was. Is, like, they are backed into a corner where, like, the, the prophecy about one of them having to die will come true. Uh, so they, like, make the decision to let Thune kill the fates. Oh. I think that would kind of rip... That's juicy. That's actually really <laughs> juicy. I mean, because the alternative is what? They give in to fate and one of them dies? That, I, that sucks. That sucks, but that's also still pretty impactful, right? Mm. That In a certain book, that would leave like a mark, I think, forever. It's like, okay, we can't rely on prophecy anymore. It just mm. is going to get us killed for no reason. Yeah. I I'm really interested in everything happening with this like tactics meeting. It's very uh like like we're seeing a bunch of like new giants 
There's so many of these fuckers. There really are. There's, of course, there's some classic ones. We get the magicians who are now like the village people. <laughs> They're just wearing construction stuff for some reason. It doesn't explain why. I, I, I have no clue. Maybe they're building new sets. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, actually, that's that's a good call. I bet so. Uh, there's, like, the messenger giant, who's just, like, a little scrappy, pathetic weakling, who's, like, I guess trying to be the new messenger of, of like, the anti-Hermes. I like that he's the anti-Hermes because he's shit at delivering messages because, uh, what the fuck, whatever the fuck, Enceladus already knows everything that he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it- because Enceladus is like his uh, Porphyrion's advisor because he's mm. like the the uh, anti-Athena, right? Yeah. I would not trust that guy to be my advisor, by the way. <laughs> hey, is, is fucking uh, the immortal giant still alive? The one who could only be killed in Alaska? Because I don't, or in Canada? Because I don't think <laughs> I saw him. I Well, he. I mean, he wouldn't go to this meeting, would he? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that he is just, like, still in... He just got resurrected from Tartarus and decided, fuck it, I'm living in, like, Gnome now. I'm just I'm just living here. <laughs> he's fucking... He's got, um... He's got Thanatos's fucking iPad, which he said was full of all of his apps and Skypes and things. And he's just Skyping into the Parthenon to be in this meeting. <laughs> I really want that to be true. <laughs> what was his name? Unfortunately, I think... Uh, I think he might just be permanently dead, though. I don't remember what his fucking name was. Uh, that's not good. He was the villain of an entire book. We should remember what his fucking name was. Yeah. Uh, Alcyonius. That was it. Uh, God, what a shit villain. Yeah, he could have been so cool. We're always <laughs> talking about this, but what a disappointment. Yeah. Uh, and, and we also get woman. We get. I like. I like that the way that uh, uh, Rick clarifies that this woman is by saying that she has boob armor. She has fucking titty armor. <laughs> Where he's just Rick's just like, oh yeah, uh, she's pretty difficult to tell apart from the other giants. They all kind of have similar builds, uh, but she she her chest plate had been specifically designed for a woman, which I assume just means titty armor, right? It must be right. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's probably differences in like breastplate design or whatever uh, if like you have boobs uh-huh um but i i'm imagining just like conan the barbarian style like <laughs> he, boobs p- poking out of the armor knowing what we know about rick Ryden, i think that's true i think so we just read the fucking widower's two-step uh patreon.com slash and wise girls if you want to listen to us talk about detective novels she i don't, I don't know what she is the anti- god of uh aphrodite maybe because then she then she can like have a big confrontation with piper when they get there maybe yeah one thing that this chapter really does highlight is that all of the giants have exactly the same design apart from uh they are all just like the same model like in the video game of this they're all the exact same (laughs) model except they have different things braided into their hair yep they they have differently textured dreadlocks, which they all have. Uh-huh. Uh. <laughs> oh gosh. So I I'm almost rooting for the Giants to get the W there, which is really weird. I listen, we kinda ran into this problem in PJO where we were like, look, Kronos' side have some points. 
if they take out the fates, I'm not going to be mad. Especially like this old, weird, like giant who's like, <laughs> I don't, they describe him as like, he looks like a big puny weakling, but he, and like, he's like old and like half cognizant. Same. Same for sure. But I just want this guy to go fucking ham and destroy <laughs> the, the, the fates. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, racism. Yep. Frank, Frank's cousins are just racist, I guess. That's sad. It's very sad. I don't know what what more there is to say about it. We only we the all we know about them being racist is just Frank comes back from the cave and is just like talking to Piper and is like, "Yep, cousins were racist." <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, which I guess I'm kind of glad Rick Riordan decided not to write this from Frank's perspective because yeah. it would have just been like a chapter of microaggressions, presumably. Yeah, I don't. I he get he does enough of those in his usual writing. I don't need him like going ham trying to do it. Uh huh. This it, it's simultaneously weird because this is sort of like the big thing for Frank, right? Mm. He's wanted to like connect with his ancestor, like with his different like roots and stuff like that. And, and his grandma was like, "You're gonna complete the circle. You're gonna go around the world and meet a family in Greece." Yeah. So, I mean, we've run into this problem a million times, but this time it isn't because of like format necessarily because rick riordan isn't following the same like this character this character this character this character mm. exact order he can just kind of pick and choose who he wants to go when uh so i i do kind of wonder like why the decision to make it so that frank doesn't have his perspective shown in this sort of big event for him why this like major resolution for his character is fucking off screen <laughs> And I guess it being off screen sort of speaks to the importance of it, which maybe is just that it isn't that important to Frank's actual character arc. Yeah, it's just kind of an anticlimax. A little bit. Yeah. So I assume that's either that's probably setting something up, although knowing Rick Riordan, he is someone to sometimes just leave it at the anticlimax. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's OK because he saw it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Piper reassuring frank about like uh the way his body looks now and being like uh you know it's 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 not better or worse you're just more you because he is now less fat is uh that's a decision yeah (laughs) completely fuck off like you can't just say that shit to someone I, i know he's a fictional character but it's fucked up that it's presented as like a good thing to say to him yeah it's like okay you're you're big muscle guy now you you like you've been shown as having weird conflicted feelings about this you are you're no longer fat so that's more like you're you're more of the human being you know that than you yeah. previously were it's i hate it i super hate it uh <laughs> i i really just don't rick riordan does not ever know how to write fat people no like it's kind of awful <laughs> i i super like I don't know. He's even got like an outfit change that's like emphasizing his muscles and like it's like, oh, it's like, you know, like he he never would have wanted to show off his bulk before. But I assured him that actually now it's good to show off his bulk when it wasn't before. This is good bulk. This is the bulk that you're allowed to have. I It makes me so mad. And, and also this is like, it's also breaking the like running gag of like Frank is always wearing just like some dog shit he found. Uh-huh. Where now he gets to be handsome. It's really, like, so much of Frank's character is that he is just, like, he's kind of like a sopping beast of a a sort. (laughs) 
you know what I mean? No, I get what you mean. That's just a very funny way of phrasing it. Like, I mean, I guess in a literal sense sometimes, because he can shapeshift in, into animals. Uh-huh. But, like, he is just like, oh, man, I fell into mud. I guess I have to, like, get these tourist clothes. Oh, I was incinerated. <laughs> I need to, like, get this, like, ridiculous outfit on. It's... He is a... It's part of, like, the bit of his character. Also, I... It's a fucked up thing to say in, like, real life to someone. Also, as a fictional character, I, like... I feel like Frank's personality and, like, character arc still works better if he, like... I don't agree that this is, like, more him as a character Mm. design. Like, I don't know. I think, like, the fat kid from... Who, like... Who has, like, learned to be confident in himself. uh, And, like, is, like... I feel like that design, like that, like those character traits still mesh more with his personality yeah. than like big muscle guy, just like from a character design perspective. Which is something you could do something interesting with because we've seen from Frank's perspective that he's kind of uncomfortable with this change, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like Rick's interested in doing that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll get more Frank perspective chapters. Maybe. Yeah, the, the Frank body, body dysmorphia may return in 2023 but i i don't know i'm not counting on it do you sometimes forget that piper's dad is a movie star uh-huh tristan mclean it almost never comes up not anymore i mean it was really important in the book that i was important in uh and i think it was mentioned like maybe once in one of the previous two books we read uh-huh <laughs> which is fine it's not like it needs to be brought up every single time but it's easy to forget like she just finds him on like a billboard with like his abs out and she's like oh gross dad (laughs) that is pretty good i I did think that was funny yeah definitely like i also like that he was just apparently in 300 yeah (laughs) i i feel like maybe this was am i remembering right that there was like a movie where it's like they got him to play like a they're like, oh, you have just the right feet, like just the right ethnic features to look yes. like a warrior or something like that. That that did happen. I think I remember Piper being like mad about that in Lost Hero. And so I don't remember if that if that's like the same movie, uh, but it could be. Uh huh. If you'd acted in in two different Greek mythology movies, that would be pretty funny. Yeah, I also like the idea that he has he is like James Bond right now. <laughs> See, the, the vibe I got from this was more of a, like, he's, like, uh, a, one of the guys from Fast and Furious. I've never watched a Fast and Furious movie. I don't know what they're called. He's he's a Hobbs and or Shaw. Yeah, he's, like, a he's like a Mission Impossible Jack Reacher type, uh-huh. like, probably. Yeah. Uh, more than a, a 007, because his abs are out, and I don't think 007's abs are usually out. <laughs> his abs are out, and he has a machine gun on the poster, whereas, like, James Bond usually is, like, he's in a, a, a little suit on the poster, and then he has, like, his abs out and a machine gun in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He he usually has, the like, the, the short little pistol or something in the poster. He's got his, like, he's got one of Daniel Craig's, like, tiny little sausage man suits, which are, like, <laughs> designed to be way too tight for him to move around in, just because, like, that's how his figure works. His sausage man suits. <laughs> Did you not know about this? What is, has, is this like a known fact about him? It's yeah. He has like he has two sets of suits for those movies. He has like the ones for like posing in and being like being on the post and stuff, which are like very 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 tight and like to like make his body kind of like squished, kind of like a sausage or something. Uh, and then he has like much looser ones for actually running around and doing the action scenes in, which I just think is very funny information. He does look a bit like a sausage. 
Why? Why do? Why? Why they squish them? <laughs> I don't know. Management wanted it. I guess so. And this is why Tristan McLean insists on having his abs out. He refuses to wear those tiny little suits. You know that's entirely fair. <laughs> we also get. We finally get the cow backstory for her. The Piper Cow Law. Which I guess maybe we should have like she's talked about not liking cows before. Maybe we should have connected like the vegetarian thing. I I yeah, but I I'd always been like, oh, if she she, I'd assume that she was like uh, vegetarian because she liked animals or something, and therefore would like cows. So it was actually confusing to me that she hated cows. And it turns out that no, she hates animals. She hates and animals. They're stinky and gross, and she doesn't want to eat them. I guess that's fair, you know. Yeah, fair enough. I just think it's it's weird that we establish she doesn't like cows and we don't even say, like, it was one of the things that I bonded with Annabeth over at Camp Half-Blood. It kind of is, right? She talks about, like, after meeting Annabeth, her encounters with Hera, doesn't she? Uh, I, th- I thought she just mentioned Hera as in, like, because of the shit that happened in Lost Hero. Uh, you know, that's probably true, actually. She, Yeah, because... Her relationship with Annabeth has gone into a bit more depth here. I think we finally mm. we're, we're finally getting rid of the Annabeth bully uh, accusations. Probably, yeah. The, the the accusations are finally being beaten. And I I I really like their relationship. Yeah, I they they complement each other really well in the like in the kind of archetypal but still good like Piper is very kind of emotional and like impulsive, and Annabeth is like the the strategic planner. Yeah, especially after a book like House of Hades, where it would make sense for Annabeth to just want to forget all about her hellish journey, stuff it all down, and just, like, try and, like, Repress the absolute fuck out of it. Yeah, she is not trying- she's trying to, like, not process anything for the next few months. Uh, And Piper's like, hey, you're gonna kill yourself like that. Stop that. Uh Uh-huh. And that's just, like, a- that's sort of what the whole- whole of her chapters are about pretty much um she she says it to annabeth she says it to jason too mm. uh i'm i'm really interested in this like contrast between annabeth and piper's relationship and uh piper and jason's relationship oh yeah i guess does it kind of feel to you like this is the same p- conversation that piper and jason have had for like every single time they've talked for the last few books <laughs> No, that's not true. For a couple of books straight, it was just every time they were like, hey, we're still together, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Okay, cool. That's true, but there also is always the implication of, like, Piper has to be there to reassure Jason about something. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes the other way around. Uh, but... I, I guess it's, most, it's mostly Piper reassuring Jason, you're right. <laughs> and so it... See, getting to see her have a fresh dynamic, I guess, really makes like the chemistry between the two characters work. Yeah, definitely. God, you know who I would like to see hang out? Who I would like to see a fresh dynamic from? Who? Piper and Hazel. Uh huh. Because when when uh, Piper is talking to Jason, she's like, "Oh, she remembered something that Hazel had confided in her a few nights ago about how Jason might be the most important part of the mission." And it's like, "Oh, Hazel confided that in her, did she? Would have been nice to fucking see that." Instead of having it told to us after the fact, like every single aspect of their supposedly great friendship has been. Yeah, I'm really not a big fan of this. Hazel is super, like, she has relationships with people, but they're only, like, mentioned offhandedly. It sucks. Um, It's really, like, I'm really not a big fan. I think she should be a more important character. Uh, Hazel should have just fucking gone with Nico. She's not appreciated here. It felt like she was supposed to be the main character in House of Hades to an extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
and that didn't pay off. Um, <laughs> but I am really just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Where's the respect for Hazel? <laughs> Here on this podcast and, right now. It's yeah, we are the Hazel respecters. Rick Riordan, do not fucking add us. <laughs> don't fucking kill her off at the end of this book. I swear to God. Because, hey, well, she, the one line, line she gets in here is to remind us, like, hey, I actually do appreciate this. It's her being like, hey, you know, you're saying that, like, everything is going to end out, like, turn out well. Everything does in the end. Sometimes you just die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if she's right. Like, That's She's speaking she from personal right. experience, I guess. Absolutely. That is a valuable, a valuable reminder, I guess. Um, but that's that's all she gets to do. Mm. And I like we keep getting these lines about like, oh, Piper and Hazel were constantly like practicing together. They they would confide in each other, you know, but I want to see some of that on the page. You know what fucking sucks, especially Uh huh. is when fucking a, a Piper, a, a Percy and Annabeth are having an argument about like, oh, who's going to go down to Sparta? Uh, we should only send guys or only send girls. Otherwise, like, you know, they'll capture a male and female demigod and like be able to raise Gaia, whatever the fuck. Uh, and the argument they have is, should Jason and Percy go or should uh, Piper and Annabeth go? When surely like they should be like, uh, we should bring Hazel as well to to like round out our numbers and make sure that we're safe. And not have to not have to risk like being captured and being used for the blood of Olympus shit. Why? Yeah. Why doesn't that come up? I, I guess the only reason is because it had been established like, oh, Piper had this dream, and like the only one advocating for it really is Percy, uh, and like against it that is, um, which is it's funny that Annabeth like gotchas him by being like, oh, you're so you're saying that two boys would be better than two girls. <laughs> she does girl power him a bit. It's very she funny. does, which is awesome. I like that. I like that Percy is still supreme lord of the bathroom. Yes, <laughs> he gets he gets so scared and pissed off about this that he makes all the toilets on the Argo explode. <laughs> it's just his go-to move. <laughs> oh, you know what it should have been. What Hazel was on the toilet while this conversation was happening. Percy makes the toilet explode. Now she can't go because she got fucking smacked into the ceiling by an exploding toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rip Hazel! <laughs> God, I, I, I. Annabeth has a conversation that is almost like an entirely different sort of thing, where she talks about how scary her boyfriend is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which like. I don't where I'm curious where this is going, right? Like I'm kind I'm kind of hoping that maybe we get an evil Percy arc, maybe as a treat. Maybe I don't think we'll ever get evil Percy arc, uh, but I need him to like I need him to get off the cliff. I, he's walked up to the edge of the cliff. I want him to jump. Yeah, because this is like this is this is a through line that is being carried from House of Hades, where we like. One of our favorite parts of that was when Percy is in Tartarus and he's just slowly going fucking nuts and, like, killing the monsters in increasingly brutal and horrible ways because he's just, like, reaching the end of his fucking rope. And, like, right. come on, come on. You can you can do you can do a bit more with that, Rick, please. Right, and the tenor of this conversation almost gets to, like, 
when you hear like I'm scared of my boyfriend, it's almost like, hey, are you okay? Do you need, do you need me get me out? Do you need me help you get out of the situation? Yeah, no, that that framing is uh not great, especially especially in context with like um, all of like Hazel and Frank's relationship in Mark of Athena, how like right. fucked that was. Yeah, and you know I to an extent I appreciate that these relationships are fraught, right? Mm. Like, these are a bunch of teenagers let loose on a ship. They're going to have fraught relationships. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I don't I If we are going to the, like, Annabeth is scared of Percy route, which I, I, I don't think is as much happening as just, like, she's worried about their future, mm. that, then I am complete. I'm, like, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm I'm watching with interest and curiosity. It's something that could be fucked up and mishandled. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about here? I guess we haven't uh, talked about much of the stuff in uh, the actual like journey for Piper and Annabeth yet at all. Yeah, true. What do we think about Mimas? Did I? You know what? You know fucking what? We finally got a cool giant. Is is my yeah. opinion on Mimas? He is actually fucking, like... He's a, uh, a two-chapter villain, and he is more, like, genuinely intimidating and powerful than, like, Porphyrion or Alcyonius ever was. Yes. Uh, it's... He's he's fucking cool. His, intru- his introduction is badass. They're, like, filled with fear. There's the heartbeat. He steps out of the shadows, which is a move we've seen a few times, but is done very well here. He has, like, he has uh, an especially really sick entrance line. I don't remember what it is. Let me find it. Very good, child of Aphrodite, the giant smiled. This is indeed the Temple of Fear, and I am here to make you believers. Yeah, that that's rips. good as hell. Like, <laughs> it, it almost borders on, like, corny, but it works super it's well, ju- I think, It's actually. just dancing on the edge of it, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's, like, deli- He's like just being really, like, an asshole throughout the entire <laughs> fight. He's like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do, little, like, daughter of Aphrodite? Are you going to hit me with makeup and fashion tips? He is very misogynistic. <laughs> He's a huge misogynist. He's the anti-Hephaestus. And I think it's the first, like, anti-god thing that has worked really well. Uh, like, yeah. Apart from, I guess, uh, Otis and them. The the idea that, like... Because o- Otis and what's it, what his face were, like, they're just, like, Dionysus but shittier, which is funny. Yeah. But uh, Mimas' deal is that, like, he's the anti-Hephaestus and therefore, like, plans fuck up around him, devices break down, data is lost. That's a really, like, cool idea. Yeah. And it like It's it's uh-huh. It's it's really cool because it like it's not like uh the anti Deimos and Phobos are in this temple or something. It's like a different giant but whose like thing for plans falling apart kind of complements the atmosphere of fear that the temple has. It's just like yeah. a really cool like crossover in that way. And it's suited to the character, right? It's Annabeth yeah. who is like the planner and it's uh Piper who's the emotional one. They're the perfect combo for this chapter. Mm-hmm. So, God, I don't know. I really enjoy this. Like, Piper, it's very, like, I don't know, Power Rangers almost. (laughs) Like, I guess the level of simplicity of it. Like, stop thinking. Just follow your heart. But I'm a Kingdom Hearts enjoyer, right? If you say, like, (laughs) just follow your heart, then I'll I'll like it. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. The actual action scene, I do lose track of a bit because so much of it is like, oh, we ran into a dark tunnel for a while and we had to, like, dodge a hammer that we couldn't see. But I think it works. 
it works mostly because Annabeth is like pissing and shitting the entire time. <laughs> Which is just not something we see often. No. And it's just it's it's you know, holding back on that for fucking nine books is like it means that it really hits when it does come up. There's like a lot of stuff happening here, which is like I'm glad that she is not just like I'm glad that we are letting both Annabeth and Percy have these lingering traumas. Mm, yeah. Uh, and that they are going to like get in the way in day to day life. There's there's kind of like a little a, a cheeky little bait and switch that it kind of pulls on you, I think. Where it's mostly Annabeth sitting around being like, Oh, I'm so worried about the lingering trauma that Percy has from this. And you kind of roll your eyes a little and you're like, oh, I see. So it's just going to be like the woman who went through the exact same shit kind of doing the dude's emotional labor for him. And then we get into like the thick of the fight and it turns out, oh no, uh, Annabeth was focusing on that because she's so like repressed and traumatized that she hasn't, that she can't focus on processing any of her own shit until she's cornered and it is like forced out of her. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really good. Rick Riordan, you've done a, you've done a good giant finally. Thank fucking god. <laughs> it only took it only took until the last book in the fucking series, but he did it. <laughs> I think there's like a couple of others we've liked, but wow, they are usually losers. Yeah, the, the yeah the problem is that they're usually the funny loser ones. He's he's finally done one that's like a good villain. What do you think? And we've got the fucking funny guys from the demigod files back. <laughs> uh, I I. It's it's shameless, obvious fan service, but I do like it whenever the short stories come up in uh in the main series. It does make me feel like I did all my homework and I got full marks yeah. on it for remembering fucking what is it uh the chariot of Ares or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame we don't see them because those guys fucking sucked in that book. It was great. <laughs> they really did. Oh god, and it's like. Piper very offhandedly says, like, oh, yeah, my brothers. Uh, and it's always just so strange to hear those, like, familiar, familial terms. They're like, I, yeah, I guess that's correct. Yeah, that feels like something where, like, if you're a demigod, you, like, try not to think about that shit. Yeah. <laughs> God, this just made me remember the whole, like, discussion from, I think, Battle of the Labyrinth. where like, oh, no, it's fine. Godly DNA doesn't count. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, before, instead of doing that, maybe we should wrap the episode. <laughs> Actually, I have a question. Uh, what do you think of, because I think, like, last episode, maybe the one before, you were like, oh, I really hope that they have to make, like, a big choice and aren't able to, like, get all the ingredients, so they have to, like, they have to, like, make compromises, and uh, what do you think of mm. the item fetch quest they've been going on so far? Uh, yeah, that I, I knew that wasn't gonna fucking happen. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was, I was, I was living with false hope there. I'm fine. I, I'll live with it. Gotcha. <laughs> but you know, you know what you could have spent this fetch quest time doing? What's that? Uh, uh, setting up Piper's new cornucopia powers. Where she can apparently, oh, yeah? like, fire emotions out of them in, like, an area of effect. Which just like I, come comes up in this chapter as soon as she needs it, and she's like, "Wow, I've developed my powers so much that I can do this now." It's like this this has not come up before. I I think it was like kind of metaphorical. I think she was still shooting hams. Uh, <laughs> They're just sad hams. I I think it's like she's channeling emotions into the cornucopia to create more powerful blasts of ham. I see. Is it wait? Is it still vegetarian if she eats a ham that came out of the cornucopia? 
I my interpretation is that it's kind of like Leo's tool belt where he like Leo's <laughs> taking shit from other people's workshops. She's taking stuff from like somebody's Thanksgiving table. <laughs> there are food banks emptying all across the country because Piper is fucking using this thing. Because she's like shooting food off the Argo too because she's <laughs> bored. <laughs> Uh, an entire an entire diet Pepsi factory fucking shuts down overnight because that sacrifice they made to Marcus. <laughs> God, uh, I think that's everything. I think so. Uh, so let's do not says hat. Let's do not says hat. Uh, who who do you nominate for this week? I think I went first last time, so you can go first this time. Uh, this week, uh, I, I, I'm once, I'm once again nominating Nico this week because he uh, believes that the gender binary is bullshit, uh, and I, I truly believe that um, one day uh, Nico will embrace uh, the he they life. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> what, what about you? Uh, I, I want to give it to Piper. I think mm. like. I think that her conversation with Annabeth was bordering on, like, I don't know, the kind of conversations you have with your straight best friend when you don't realize you're gay yet or something. (laughs) Well, you know, Rick Ryden swung in to try and, like, nip that in the bud. I think there's a specific part where Piper is like, yeah, uh, she needs to focus on the opposite of fear, which was love. She focused on her love for her friend Annabeth. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, like, you we know. Can, we're allowed to have Nico, but we can only have one. <laughs> that's fucking sad. <laughs> but you're right. That's I, the, Yeah, you're right. It has that energy. Uh, but I think that'll be it for us today. Our intro and outro is Super Mariation by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. They got a variety of amazing shows there about topics ranging from emo culture to fucking space mail carriers. You can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, co-host, Tumblr, on Adam Wise Girls. We've got links to our social medias. We've got links to our uh, various, our Discord, our email. we got... Uh, updates when episodes come out visual companions on occasion and uh, if you want to support us you can leave a five-star rating interview on your podcast out of choice you can tell a friend about us you can uh, also support us monetarily by going to patreon.com slash unwise girls where for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of camp counselor for three dollars a month you can get the discord role of friend of bacchus as well as all of our bonus content Yep, uh, on the last bonus episode, we talked about uh, Rick Ryden's second Trace Navari detective novel, uh, The Widower's Two-Step. Uh, so if you want to listen to us like just talking about like Rick Ryden's previous body of work before PJO and all this stuff, and like the, the weird amount of DNA that like these great detective novels share with it, uh, dro- drop us some money on Patreon and listen to those episodes. Uh, and also... For $5 a month, you can get the Discord rule of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. <laughs>
See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. Ah. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's We should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's a it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday.